Thessalonians chapter 5, reading a short passage, just 16 to 18. Paul says, Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we, again, we come to you with thankful hearts this morning. We thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for giving us the strength and energy we needed to wake up and get ready and, and make it into church this morning. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who have joined us here. We thank you for this opportunity to just come and sit in your throne room, Lord, and worship you. Lord, we ask that you would be with each and every one of us this morning. Come sit beside us, Lord. Uh, let us feel your presence this morning to help calm our hearts, Lord, to help focus our minds. Lord, because our whole focus should just be on you. So I ask that you would come and be a part of this entire service today. Lord, be with each and every one of our volunteers and every aspect of each one of our ministries, Lord. For children's church coming up and for, for Sunday school uh, and Lord for this walk through Bethlehem ministry that we have uh, for, for our uh, Together We Can uh, partnership that we have, Lord, for each and everything that we do as a church, Lord, we ask that you would be the central figure and the one that gets all the glory for every aspect of work that we do. Lord, I ask that you would please be with Pastor Doug as he comes and shares what you have laid on his heart for this week, Lord. Uh, let it be a, a full blessing uh, to we as us as we hear it and to you, Lord, as we go from here and continue our worship in you and everything that we say and do. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Summer, we had the joy of going to our granddaughter's graduation from boot camp down in Biloxi, Mississippi. And so the, the idea, or at least the reality of Veterans Day, is now even becoming more and more evident in our families. We already have a veteran, our son-in-law, who served in the, uh, the Marines. Uh, I've learned that you never say was a, a Marine. You know, he was a former Marine. He still is, by the way. And, and so this morning, we will not forget those who have served our country faithfully so that we can gather here today. So I'm going to ask all the veterans that are here in this service, come up here, please. Don't let me call you out. Come up, veterans, come. We've even got the prophet Isaiah coming. All the veterans... Yes. Pat, give me your hand, Pat. We have something that we want to give to them. But this one thing I'm very aware of, this afternoon, many of us will be watching games. 
on TV. And in those games, the people in the crowd go crazy. They, go, they, they think that that's the greatest thing on earth today. But they have no idea of the freedom that they're even being able to be there, to see, based upon individuals like behind me and others who have gone before them, have given to us in their service to this country. So when a touchdown is scored, no one stays in their seats unless it's the wrong team. No one stays in their seats. They always stand and they get excited and they shout and they clap and they're going nuts for a little ball that made it over a white line. We have soldiers behind us that literally in many ways put their life on the line so that we could be here. So let's stand and give praise to God for these up here. Let's praise God. Come on. Bless the Lord. Thank the Lord. Bless their name. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for these that represent most of, if not all, of the branches of the military service. They've seen things that none of us want to see. They were involved in things that none of us want to be involved in. But yet they provided for us things that we all want to have, and that's freedom. So we thank you for the service whether here in our country or whether on the foreign field, we thank you that they answered the call of the country to serve it. And we are honored in some very small way to say thank you and to minister to them. And so, Lord God, I pray that you will bless them and continually use them for your glory and for your honor. And we'll praise you and thank you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your service to our country. Now you can go back. <laughs> See, they follow orders. They still follow orders. Isn't that amazing? They still follow orders. I gotcha. If you go down, I'm going down with you.
I was reminded to remember a fellow serviceman who this year went home. He used to fly planes over the, the mountains to deliver supplies. But he took a great flight this fall or this summer. He went home to be with Jesus, and that's Randy and, uh, no, not Randy, Randy's sitting there. I'm sorry, it's Fred. Fred Phillips. Uh, yes. Yeah. Ninety-seven years old, went home to be with Christ. That's amazing. Thank the Lord for that. Um, now what do I do now? Okay. I think I'm supposed to do a little bit of preaching, aren't I? What's that, honey? Oh, yeah. oh thank you. Thank you. I think I had my hearing aids tuned to, to wife. You all know what that means, amen? Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I got a call yesterday from uh, Charlotte Byerly uh, telling us that, uh, or Charlotte Yoakum, excuse me, her, her husband Jim passed away thir- Thursday last week. And, and so um, no plans yet for the funeral service or anything like that, but we need to remember uh, Charlotte in our prayers, and obviously uh, even some healing for Charlotte because she fell and uh, she hurt her uh, face as far as, I don't know if she broke any bones or anything like that, but uh, she's recovering from that. So we need to remember her and her loss of uh, her husband, Jim. So let's do that first, shall we? God, uh, forgive me for forgetting. I find myself doing that more and more uh, lately. But I thank you that I have a wife that reminds me. I thank you for a congregation that understands. And I thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to remember one of our members of the congregation who right now has suffered a loss. Her husband has passed away. He's in your presence All of the frailty of life that he went through is now gone. He's strong and and healthy. He's in your presence. And for that we are thankful, even in the midst of the sorrow. But we pray for our dear sister Charlotte that you would uh, come alongside her. and First of all, give her peace that passes all understanding. Also, Lord, we're asking for a healing of a fall that she has most recently taken that has hurt her physically. And I pray, Lord, for the time of healing, the time of strength for her. And Lord God, would you honor her even today? And we ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you, honey, for reminding me of that. I appreciate that. We find ourselves, again, in a, another, uh, 
I guess, an, another chapter, if you will, of what we're calling celebrating our many blessings of Thanksgiving. And, and for many of us, that has taken on some, some different kinds of, if you will, uh, thoughts and feelings. Uh, this morning, as, as Pastor Steve read for you, we're, we're going to look at just three short verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And, and the one thing I believe that this passage is telling us is, says this, we're taught to offer thanks to God not only occasionally or when wonderful things are happening. Instead, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. What are we, what are we getting at? Well, to understand the passage that we come to in 1 Thessalonians, we, we need to know what the context of the passage is. Um, the, the church at Thessalonica, the book of 1 Thessalonians, was written by the Apostle Paul to a Christian community suffering from intense persecution, more so than any or most of the churches, the Apostle Shepherd. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to, just back to Acts chapter 17, we see the inception of this particular church known as the church at Thessalonia. And in chapter 17 of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul arrives in this city. And the first thing he does, as he did in every new city that he went into, this being the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, he would always make sure if there was a synagogue in that city, that he would go into that synagogue first. He's just come out of Philippi, and there was no synagogue there, but now he's in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, and there is a synagogue, and so he goes there. The question is, why? Well, because you might remember his writings in Romans chapter 1, when he says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. And then also to the Greek. And so here the Apostle Paul is following through with what he has described as a directive from God. And, and so here he's in this, this synagogue in Thessalonica and he begins to share the truth of the scriptures. Now the problem is, is that they didn't have any of the written word. They... they had to rely upon individuals who, quote, supposedly came as a mouthpiece of God, a missionary or even apostle or prophet or whatever, and they were to then get understanding as to what they would have. Now, what's interesting is we read just a few verses in this book in chapter 17 of Acts. It says, And when they had passed through Amphiphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. 
And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So here we have this particular church being born, if you will, shepherded by the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Excuse me. But it doesn't stop there. Because most of the Jewish colonization of that area was not pleased with the preaching of the gospel. And so persecution arose. If you go on and read a little bit further, you'll find out that the house that maybe they were meeting in, Jason, they went in and took him out into the city and were about ready to do him harm. But the magistrates of that city said, no, 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 don't do that. And the Apostle Paul escaped by night, and he went to this area called Berea. Now, what had happened in Berea, as Paul is preaching there, a great revival broke out. But individuals from Thessalonica, who did not agree with the gospel, went to Berea and started persecuting again. So this church at Thessalonica is in the midst of heavy persecution. And in the Apostle Paul, and due to that persecution, Paul and Silas left Thessalonica and went to Berea while their persecution followed causing Paul to be sent away to Athens. That's a little bit of the context of the passage. But I want to look at the concern of the apostle. What is he saying in these verses? Well, beginning in verse 16, there are eight short commands that to behold by which the Holy Spirit is to be their guide. Eight short commands. You can count them from verse 16 down to verse 18. There are eight of them, very short, very concise. Paul says, do this, do this, do this, very, very quickly. And yet, we come to verse 18. And this is the tough one. Because the statement says, notice in verse 18, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Even when the red wave did not occur across our nation, we are still to be thankful. Even if things didn't turn out the way that we would have liked to have them turn out, Remember this, righteousness can never be sanctified from the halls of Washington, D.C. Only come from the Word of God. And so maybe what the Lord is doing is seeing how we would react. Remember, we're not in a whole lot of persecution. We're not the church of Thessalonica. There was fear for their lives. There was fear for their even being able to get their next meal. There are other parts of the world that are like that, but here in the United States, we're still here, right? Amen? We're still here. We still can be thankful. God is in control. And if you want my opinion, too bad, you're getting it anyway. In Romans chapter 13, the Scriptures tells us what government is supposed to do. 
it is, first of all, to protect its country. Secondly, it is to convict those who are evil. Now, that's all been convoluted. I know that. I know that. I understand that. But we're not going to get back to that. So what is God doing to us? Putting us through a time of wondering why. And so the Apostle Paul, as he writes that to them, obviously the statement does not say for all things. It does not say be thankful for all things. It says be thankful in all things. We are not to be thankful for evil, justice, cruelty, which exists in every day of the world. We're not supposed to be thankful for that. If anything, we're supposed to stand against it. But yet, Scripture never instructs us to give thanks for wicked, immoral, and sinful circumstances, but to give thanks in them. How do we do that? That's the rub, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the rubber on the road. How do we do that? Even in the midst of what seems to be so convoluted, how can we do that? Right here. We can still give the gospel throughout all of the world. We can still share with our next door neighbors. We can still do acts of kindness to individuals who need us the most in order that they would know and understand that there's a God who loves them. And we can share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even in a convoluted situation, we can still be thankful in it. And even in persecution, we can still be thankful in it. And the continuing this practice, even in times of suffering, can help us keep our eyes on God and remember that God's presence is always with us, even in the darkest days. I've heard this statement. In fact, I've even heard it again this morning in our prayer time prior to the service. That how do people cope without the hope in Jesus Christ? Even today, how do they get through the day without Christ? Well, many do. But they don't have hope. And we who have been helped, can give hope. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, when he says, be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you to anyone who asks. And you do that with all godly fear, respect, and trembling. We have opportunity. Light always shines in the darkest. It's always the brightest. That's why when, guys, when you're about ready to go and buy your lovely person that you want to be, your bride, you, you go to the diamond store, and of course they want to sell you a $20,000 ring. Don't fall for that. But they're going to bring out a black piece of velvet, and they're going to start dumping diamonds on it. And the first question you should ask is this, which one is the most inexpensive? Still going to cost you. It ain't going to cost you thus. It isn't just going to cost you 
the cost of that diamond. It's going to cost you the rest of your life. Can I get an amen from the men in the congregation? (laughs) But they put that diamond on that black velvet so that it shines the best, that you can see it. And you see all the intricacies of it. And, And a good jeweler will point out how wonderful. You see that blue light? Yeah, yeah, okay, how much is it going to cost? That's too much. I want a green light. (laughs) The light always shines the best in the darkness. In fact, darkness is not darkness. All it is, it's it's missing light. Isn't that why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, be the light of the world? A light that shines in darkness that cannot be consumed? Why? Darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. And we are the light. But there is a misconception, isn't there? There's always a misunderstanding. Some followers of Jesus believe God's love will shield us from all the trials and troubles of life. Even though this teaching is not found in the Bible, Jesus promises his followers that not only will they have the same troubles all humans face, but in many ways, they're likely to have more suffering because they are committed to living lives that sacrificially pursue love and justice for everyone, even our enemies. Even our enemies. One time when, when I had the privilege of ministering with Pastor Jim Ober in Lebanon Valley Bible Church, we had a, a missionary come from Russia. Out of the many years of his life, he spent over half of his life in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he shared a story that one day they brought him out all by himself and they sat him on a chair in front of a number of men who had their weapons drawn on him. And they were threatening to shoot him to death if he doesn't denounce the gospel that he had been preaching. Because what he was doing is he was preaching in prison and the prisoners were coming to Christ. And you know what his words were? It struck and it still strikes me even this day. He said, please, shoot me. Because he said, before one drop of my blood hits the floor, the gospel will spread like you can never stop it. And they all dropped their weapons and released him from prison. We think that wrongly that just because we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, nothing's bad supposed to happen to us. But I'm here to tell you this morning that some of you here have already felt it. That's not true. It is the effects, it is the consequences of Genesis chapter 3. It wasn't God's plan 
that at the beginning we were going to die. He offered a tree of life that he said, eat of it all you want. But next to it, he planted a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't touch it. And you know the rest of the story. In chapter 3, God cursed this earth. And God cursed mankind because of their sin. And the consequences of that, yes, sometimes are horrible. But it's the effects of sin. There are earthquakes. There are tsunamis. There are tornadoes. There are hurricanes. There are volcanoes that erupt and and literally can and do many times take people's lives with them. And then the call comes out, if God's a God of love, why would he allow that to happen? But they don't want to hear about the consequence of sin. But, the but, it's this. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit is here to be our comforter. Remember John, not too long ago, I hope, John 14, I'll send you another comforter, a parakletos, one who comes alongside, and he'll teach you all things, and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I've told you. And Jesus said, my comfort I give to you, my comfort I leave with you. It's the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. He ministers to us in the midst of loss and pain by filling us with what is described in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And giving thanks during suffering can help us keep our eyes on God as we journey with Him through the dark valleys. I could give you a name and you would probably instantly know who I'm talking about. Johnny Erickson Tata. She has a one-minute program, I think, one-minute snippet that comes on the radio once in a while. It may still be coming. I I don't know. I've not listened to it for quite a while. But in one of her one-minute stories, she tells of her misreading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. And she thinks that it says that she had to feel thankful in all things. Well, she had a friend. And the friend came to her and said this. But that's when her friend wisely said, Johnny, that Bible verse doesn't say to feel thankful. Giving thanks has nothing to do with feeling thankful. There's a big difference between trusting God and having trustful feelings. 
Johnny Harrison goes on to explain the fact that she was thankful for that friend who got her out of that funk, she said, in order to help her to understand that even though as a young lady, she's in a wheelchair for the rest of her life, even in that, she said, God has a purpose that I can be thankful for. So what do we do with this? We come to a personal application, and it's something like this. Even when we experience trials, we can give thanks to God's presence, his understanding, and his comfort. Are you still in 1 Thessalonians 5? Go to verse 28. For it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The grace of God is sufficient to give thanks in all things. Let us pray. God, it is difficult, sometimes downright mind-boggling, to try to come to some understanding, some realization, some concrete evidence of what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he says, in everything, give thanks. All we know is that he says, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. At times, that doesn't feel right. Too often, it feels counterproductive, abrasive to the very depths of our soul. But yet, it all boils down to what the Apostle Paul is telling us. That even when trials, troubles come, God has never left us and we can trust him. If that's all we've got to hang on to, then that's all we need. Because you are faithful. You are always God. And you know me by name. You know those by name. You even know all of our life's situations. And the cry from your heaven may only be, do you trust me? And so God, help us to realize that the greater strength is not in what we feel, but it's in what we know. We know that you've never left us, never forsaken us. We know that you will always be with us. No man can pluck us from your hand. And so God, I pray that you would minister to our hearts and to the depths of our soul to realize that everything has a plan. You are in control. And we will be careful to praise you and thank you in your matchless name. For it is in the name of Christ our Savior we pray. Amen. Let us stand please for the benediction.
I may read for you the benediction that comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For in it it says these words. As soon as I find it, excuse me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.